Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Inside the Asperger Studios. Are you someone who has issues with social skills? Do you have problems finding work or problems of interviewing? Well, my next guest, Kirk Mackinac, wrote a book called Smile and Succeed, a book for teens, all about social skills and how to help you with everything else. And he's also a, a coach. So sit back, relax, and grab your favorite beverage, and I'll see you on the other side. See you there. Welcome back to another episode of Inside the Asperger Studios. Today on the show, I'm joined with Kirk McKenzie. Welcome to the show, Kirk. Thank you so much, Reed, for having me. So why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and we'll get going. Sure. Well, thank you again. Uh, my name is Kirk Mianicki. I'm the author yeah. of the book Smile and Succeed for Teens that's used for social and job skills. And I was telling Reed earlier, because of the pandemic, I also have an online course. But my books really are quick and easy to read. And more importantly, they help people get confidence, whether it's an adult or a teen, in a social setting, whether it's with a family or on the job. So it helps them just learn these important social skills that are so critical, and also some of the customer service skills. All right. So why don't you tell us a little bit about your book? Sure. Well, my book, it's probably easier to even, just like I did with you earlier, just hold it up and I'll show you how thin it is. This is the cover. It's a crash course in face-to-face communications, but it's really quick and easy to read. I don't know if you can see how thin it is, Mm -hmm. but I was like, we were talking before the interview, my editor and I rewrote this 70 times and I tested it on a lot of people. I tested it read for nine months on a group of great teenagers until they'd say, Oh, I would read this. And I asked them, well, why would why would you read it? And they said, because it's so short and it has valuable information I need to know. And just to kind of show you, you were asking before the interview about illustrations and the, the type is big. It's a real like it's a real easy fourth grade reading level and just real easy to read with um, some nice cap educational captions and illustrations. So it's a quick easy kind of course in social and job skills. And, you know, everybody needs it. It's just not, it's not only for the autistic community, it's really for everybody because I'm sure your listeners have walked into businesses or called businesses and they've maybe been ignored when they walked in or the business didn't answer the phone properly. So what are some of the biggest challenges that you face writing the book? Boy, that's a great question, Reed. I'll tell you, writing a book, somebody... I saw a video read on YouTube and it was from an author and he, and he said, and this is the best way I can describe it. He said, writing a book is like cutting down a huge oak tree with a butter knife. And it really is. The biggest challenge is finding time to write and getting yourself motivated for most people. I didn't have that problem because I knew the content and I was passionate about it, but it's, it's staying for the long term, it's staying with it to complete it. Because once you get a section done, you're you, I'm like, if you were close to me, I might show it to you and you might say, oh, I don't like this or that. So it's a lot of editing is, is one of the biggest challenges, editing and re-editing. 
All right. Um, what are some of the biggest challenges you had with um, dealing with the teenagers, teaching them social skills? You know, the t- I had a group of teenagers that were just wonderful. I think, I think most teenagers, I don't think we give them enough credit. I think most of them realize that they need these skills, but they want it in a format that's digestible. They don't want to read a book that's this thick, for instance. Um, so I really yeah, I didn't have, that. yeah, I didn't have challenges with the group I was with. Um, I think it's more the parents of the teenagers that'll say, oh, my teen won't read that. And then when they do get the book for their teen, two months later, the mom tells me, oh, I caught my teen reading your book in bed. So one of the challenges with teens, of course, is they're on their cell phones. Mm-hmm. But I do have an ebook version for that. But I think we have to get the teens off the phones and get them into outside activities, get them books, not just mine, but a lot of books to read. That's so important to be reading books. Our literacy rates are going down. But I really didn't have much of a challenge with teens. I think they're smart enough to know that they need these skills. They just need them presented in the right way. Now, what age ranges do you deal with? Do you deal from like the early teens and up to before they hit college? Yeah, that's a, another great question, Reed. Thank you. I, you know, this book being a fourth grade reading level, usually it's from age 12. And then if we're, you know, some young adults after college of 12 to 26, it seems to be um, because some people graduate college and they need these skills or they're not in college and they're going into the workforce. Uh, the majority seems to be high school students because I have a lot of teachers that use it. But I had a six year old. I had a neighbor of mine told her told me that her six year old daughter read my book and uh, and came up to her and wanted to shake hands and said, look, mom, not too loose, not too tight, just right. And her mom said, that's right out of your book. <laughs> so it was kind of funny, but usually high school age, although middle schools and elementary, I think, should be learning these of all, you know, whether they're neurotypical or neurodiverse, we all need these skills. Now, what was your reaction when you found out that the majority of your readers were on the spectrum or some sort of neurodiverse? Well, I was surprised. And you know what happens with, with my materials? I think the parents of neurodiverse individuals get it. They understand that my son or daughter needs this training. But the parents of the neurotypical kids, even though those kids need the training just as much, they don't think their kids need the training, even though their kids might be on their cell phones and not have good self, um, good social skills. But I was, but I was kind of happy, Reed, because I thought, here we've got this group of great, smart individuals who are the underdogs because the unemployment rate is so high. So maybe just one little tip on my book or online course will help them get that job. You know, sometimes it's just one little, like I read a lot. Sometimes mm-hmm. I'll get one little tip out of the book that helps me immensely. So I, I'm really happy it turned out that way. I kind of like the helping the underdog, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. Now, how did you get into sales? Boy, I have been, that's a, you, you have great questions. I have been in <laughs> sales my whole life. You know, when I was in middle school, I had a lawn service and I wish I would have had my book then because I remember going up to, to knock on people's doors. And I was so nervous. I didn't know what to say when the adult answered the door. So I'd be nervous and I'd ask them, you know, would you like your lawn mode? But my uncle, uh, my uncle Gene was a professional salesperson. And he really helped me when I was in middle school. He, t- I told him once 
I'm really afraid of selling. And he said, don't think of selling as selling. Think of it as helping someone get what they need. And I've never mm-hmm. forgotten that. And that kind of propelled me into sales. I was just always interested. And I saw, I think when I went to Sears once with my mom when I was little, she wasn't treated very well by a salesperson. And so I thought, if I'm ever a salesperson, I'm going to make sure I'm really nice to customers. All right. Now, I know you're a coach. What kind of methods do you use when you coach your clients? You know, I pretty much give them what I'm knowledgeable with. I'm not a teacher. I'm not somebody that's an expert in autism or anything like that. I really just um, help them with getting them into the mindset of putting themselves in the customer's shoes. When I had our, our retail store, we used to do a lot of role playing and I would have my employees we'd practice greeting and I'd have my employees walk in the store and I wouldn't greet them. And I'd ask them how that made them feel when nobody said anything when they walked in and they said, well, pretty bad. And then we'd do it again with me greeting them properly. I'd say, hi, how are you today? Thank you for coming in. And I'd ask them, how did that make you feel? And they'd say, well, really good. And I'd ask, would you spend money in this store? Yes, I would. I'd say, why? Well, you greeted me properly. So it's a lot of just teaching the methods that I know as far as good customer service and social skills, I don't, I really just get to the point. I don't have any fluff. I try to tell stories, things like that, but I'm not, I'm not a teacher or a professor or anything like that. I just teach what I know. Now, what is the typical day like for you? You know, usually in the morning I'm on LinkedIn and I know you're on LinkedIn too. You're pretty active with it. And I'm prospecting and creating, creating relationships with new people And then after I do that, I'll do a posting. So that's usually an hour and a half or so. So I'm always prospecting, seeing who I can help. And then the next two hours, I'm usually on the phone or emailing and following up with, usually it's teachers who have a sample of my book and were interested in possibly getting a classroom pack with a teaching guide. So I follow up just to see where they're at and if they have any questions. And then the rest of the day, I'm pretty much um, selling or I'm doing, like yesterday, I had to fix my website. I'm sure you run into these issues too. There's always some fire to put out. So usually an hour or two a day, I'm doing something in my office administrative-wise. But then I get back to selling after that. Now, in your coaching, have you dealt with any clients who are on the spectrum? Yes, I have just a couple. You know, usually what I'm doing, I'm doing Zoom calls with classes of autistic students. Mm-hmm. And that's more, I just started the coaching, gosh, a couple of months ago, and I don't do much of that. It's more doing um, what I just started, these Zoom webinars with, with school classrooms, with autistic students. And I really enjoy that because they're usually transitioning to get their first job. So even just teaching them, and not, we all need this, it's not just autistic students, teaching them how to answer the phone properly, is so important or how to shake the hand of an employer and greet them properly and say, please. And thank you. So it's not, it's really, everybody needs these skills, even though I'm helping the autistic community, we all need these skills. I I need everybody, myself, everybody. So you teach them the general social skills or do you have like a range of certain skills you do teach? Well, it's usually the general and, you know, these are all the little details from a training program I created when I had my own startup specialty retail store. I had a six week 
training program before employees were eight were then they were mainly teenagers were allowed to interact with customers. So it's all the basic social skills and customer service skills, such as body language, greeting that customer properly with a smile and a friendly hello, saying please and thank you, answering the phone properly, engaging that customer, what to do if the customer asks for something you don't have. You don't say, I don't know, for example. Mm-hmm. You say, you know what, let me go Let me go find out if that's something we can do. Let me find somebody that knows the answer. So it's a lot of these just really basic little details that are actually the big details in business, but they're often overlooked. And then the customer never comes back. Like, have you ever gone in a store and not been treated, treated nicely, Reed? I know I have. Mm -hmm. So it's that type of thing. You know, it's fixing that. It's making sure these young adults don't act like that. Now, have you had any challenges teaching them these social skills, like kids who are like reluctant to learn or just don't see any point in it? Yes, I had one client a couple months ago who was like that, and I felt really bad because he was a really nice young man. Um, I felt like, gosh, I don't know what else I can do. And then a therapist told me who was also working with him, um, she just said, Kurt, sometimes you can't help somebody unless they want to help themselves. And that really helped me because I felt like such a failure. I thought I'm not getting anywhere with this person. And I just don't think he was really ready to change. And I think that's common from what I've heard in therapy and coaching. You know, you have to want to be able to make the change and willing. So when you teach them like handshakes and stuff, do you, do you have exercises where they like would shake hands with you and you tell them if it's right or if it's wrong? Yes. When I'm in person, I was volunteering with the um, autism was autism Alliance of Michigan a few years ago. And we did a lot of that. Now with the pandemic, I also tell them they can fist bump, you know, fist bump or give an elbow or just wave. But when I'm on zoom, the teacher's usually the one that's going to give them the exercise. I've got a teaching guide and I've also mm-hmm. got a parent's guide and it has handshake exercises in there. So the parent or the teacher can practice with them. But if I'm in person, like I was before the pandemic, yes, I'll tell them a little, a little firmer because a lot of people have this fishy, you know, this fishy <laughs> handshake and it doesn't create a good first impression. You want that firm, solid, not too tight, you don't want to crush the person's hands, but a nice firm handshake and a nice smile. That makes such a difference. Now, I know one of the biggest things with those who are autistic is eye contact. How do you deal with that in teaching social skills? Because you can't force them to do eye contact if it's not part of their who they are. Excellent question, Reed. That's so common. And you know, what I tell them is, I know eye contact is difficult, but if you can, if you're comfortable with that, look at the person's nose or their mouth. And that's all you can do. If you're not comfortable with that, then maybe you will eventually, maybe you just never will, but you can do everything else right. You can shake hands, you can smile. If the eye contact is there, that's great and it's important, but it may not be. I mean, if that helps to look at that person's nose or even their mouth, Maybe they can do that. That would be wonderful. But I realize not everybody can do that. So you do all the other things, the smile, the the friendly hello, calling them by name. Hello, Mr. Smith. You know, I'm Kurt. It's so nice to meet you. 
And if you don't have the eye contact, it's just maybe something you work on. And I realize some people just are not going to have that who are autistic, right? Because it's just mm-hmm. too difficult. Sure. No. I think just doing the best they can. Now, when you're dealing with social skills, I mean, what so, what kind of skills do you teach them besides the handshake, the firm ho- saying hello? What else do you teach them? Another, you, I love your questions. Electronic etiquette, which is so important. So what I tell them is when you go to work, that phone is off and you never have it out. Mm-hmm. And if you're at a restaurant with your family and the phone rings, what do you do? Do you answer it or do you just ignore it and let it go to voicemail? Well, the correct answer is ignore it and let it go to to voicemail. So electronic etiquette, we talk about quite a bit because that's such a big issue. My friend has a um, Little Caesars in Canada and he doesn't give any warnings. If he sees any teens with their phones out or adults, they're fired right away. Wow. Yeah. So that's and he told me, Kurt, I can't afford to lose a customer or my business because of some bad social skills that a teen has, they're gone. And so that's how important, um, you know, this really is, but we go over like, gosh, um, job interviews, which are part of social skills, what to do, you know, arriving early, um, being enthusiastic, asking questions, listening, which is an important social cult, just like you're doing an excellent job of right now. Um, all different to body language rather than being like this in an interview, you know, where your arms are crossed. Look what a difference it makes when you're sitting up straight and you're smiling, you know, look at that, look at, or if you're at it, maybe you're selling, maybe you have a business and you're selling products at a farm market. You don't want to be like this. You want to be like this and you don't want to be sitting down, you know, how many times have you gone read to a, or your listeners to a trade show or a market and people are sitting down behind the table and what are they doing usually? You're usually on their phones or they're talking to their coworker or worse, they're eating like a salad or something, you know, <laughs> <so>. <laughs> which is terrible. But I also teach a lot of customer service skills, read such as if a customer asks you where something is, you don't point. I mean, I don't know if you've, I've gone into some stores where you ask mm-hmm. where something is and they, oh, it's an aisle 23. I don't even know where aisle 23 is. And then once I get there, there's 2 million, or, you know, I'm exaggerating, of course, products in that aisle. So we teach them to walk that person to that aisle. If there's a return, we teach them to smile. Just mm-hmm. Don't be upset. It's not personal. Maybe they bought the wrong thing. So saying, I'm so sorry this didn't work out. I'll be glad to help you. So a lot of those types of social skills, answering the phone properly, which it's really all about first making a great first impression and knowing how to answer that phone is important. Oh, and another um, big point is their voicemail. Making sure that if they're looking for a job, that their voicemail is professional. You know, you don't want their voicemail to say, Hey, it's Tanya. Give me a call. Yep. You know, what impression does that leave? <laughs> you know, you, you want it to be, you know, good morning, good afternoon, or hello, this is Tanya. Thank you for calling. I'm so sorry I missed your call. Please leave a message and I'll get back to you. Thank you very much. Something like that. Now, how do you teach, how do you help your students or your clients with something like 
phone interviews. I mean, because I know that's one of the hardest things because you're used to the old days of, oh, you'll have an interview with so-and-so, come in, dress casual or business casual or business. How do you teach them to deal with phone interviews? Because people don't know how to interact with a phone interview. That is the best question I've ever had. I, I love that. And I think you mean without Zoom, just the regular phone, or do you yeah, mean without a, yeah, standard phone interview? Yeah, standard and phone interview. Zoom, you need you, you they can see what you look like from the top up. Exactly. You need to wear a nice shirt and tie and stuff and present yourself. Yes. With a phone interview, it's I suggest to people, if they ask me that question, practice a lot because it, I think it's more difficult. You're not seeing the person's body language, as you know, so you're not sure how they're reacting. You, you don't even know what the person looks like. I suggest doing everything as you normally would, but practicing ahead of time with a parent or a friend with some mock interview questions so that you're comfortable on the phone. The phone is really hard. I tell people, you know, when you give an answer in your head, just assume that that person is smiling and nodding their head. Don't assume. We always seem to assume the worst. So don't assume that they're looking like, hmm, I wonder what 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 that person means, because normally we think all these negative thoughts and they're usually not true. If you've done I tell people this also, if you do your homework on the company, you'll be a lot more confident when you're talking to that person. And I recommend mm -hmm. searching for that person on LinkedIn, getting to know what they're like, looking at their posts, finding out what they're interested in, know everything about the company. So if on the phone, they tell you, Kurt, tell us about, you know, tell us what you know about our company. I'm not in shock. I'm ready. I've got everything written down in front of me and I can tell them why well, I know your company's been around for 40 years. You serve the elderly market. I know you have a big event that was on your Facebook page coming up this weekend to raise money for breast cancer. And I know that Sarah, you've been, or Mrs. Smith, you've been working at the company for four years. And I know from your LinkedIn post that you really seem to enjoy your work. So, you know, that sounds so much more knowledgeable than, well, I'm not sure. Mm -hmm. But see, researching that company for a phone interview it makes you confident. You're, you've, you've already taken the time to prepare, so you're not afraid they're going to ask you something that you're not prepared for. And that 90% of that takes away takes away 90%. I meant to say it takes away 90% of the nerves. But phone yeah. interviews are tough. They are. I mean, I've known, I've known with my personal experience, I've had companies who go, so what do you know about our company? And I know that's important, and I've pushed this with my friends, is you can't, and you probably agree with what I'm about to say, is you can't just go into an application and fill it out because you just want the money. Companies are going to see right through that and say, oh, you're not interested in the long haul. You just want the paycheck from week to week. They're just going to skip you by and say, no, thank you. you got to have an interest and in investment in that company Otherwise, even if you do get hired, they're, you're just going to be bored to death. I couldn't agree with you more. Yes, find like Temple said in your excellent podcast, find something you're interested in because you're not going to last long there either if you're not happy with the job. Both, both parties will be disappointed. So, yeah, know the company. Be ready for those questions. Think about 
what you want to accomplish at the company and what you can help them with. You might even tell them, well, I know that you're launching this new program, this new volunteer program, and I'm interested in plants. And in addition to my work, I would love to take on a role somehow with volunteering because I'm making this up, of course, because I just I'm very interested and passionate about nature. So, you know, show them and show them what you can do for them. Tell them, go go the extra mile. Now, how do you help those with job interviews? Because I know from my own personal experience, in-person interviews, you are just a mess. Your hands get sweaty. You don't know what questions are going to be asked. You can look up online questions for interviews, but they can throw you for a loop and come up with questions on their own. Well, they can. And and I love that question because I think the answer to it is so important. Job interviews are just tough. And I don't want your audience to think they're only tough for autistic individuals. Job interviews make everybody everybody's palms sweat a little bit. And if you weren't nervous a little bit, I'd be worried because you might be overly confident and you don't want that. So you really have to do what we talked about with the phone interview. Prepare, do your research so that you're confident going in. Mm-hmm. Answer all the questions you talked about. Read all the typical questions. Know that you've got the answers for those. And, you know, you're always going to have a question that might trip you up. But if you're prepared and know about the job description, you know you're a good match for that job. You're prepared mm-hmm. to tell them what you can do for the company. And you know all about the company. You really don't have anything to worry about. Because if they ask you some off-the-wall question like, I don't even know, what would they ask? Let's say they ask something like, um, well, who's our biggest competitor? You might say, well, I'm not sure who your biggest competitor is, but I do know from our from my research that your competitors are this company, this company, and this company. So it all goes back to doing the research. And if they ask you something you don't know, you might just say, I'm so sorry, I, I, I don't have an answer for that. I mean, we're all human. If you've prepared they're going to see that in the in-person interview. And they know that people are nervous. And I'm nervous when I go to job interviews. Who isn't? You're, you, know, it, you don't know what they're going to ask you and you want to perform well. And that they seem to have all the, you know, they've got, got all the um, information. But you can turn it around also and think of, think of it this way. You're also interviewing that company to see if that's a place you want to work or not. And that sometimes thinking of it that way sometimes takes the, it used to take the pressure off me. I think it helps. So it's not just them interviewing you. You want to see if this is a good fit for you or not. So it's kind of both ways also. Now, how do you help them? Do you help, or let me rephrase this. Do you help them with job rejection? Because I know that's a big thing and, and that can lead to depression. Well, it can. I, I don't in specifically help with that, but I, I can tell you the general answer to your question is, you know, this is one thing I think I've seen on LinkedIn. People, autistic individuals, say, I've seen, they'll say, oh, I got rejected for a job. Well, that's everybody gets rejected. I don't want them to think it's only them because they're autistic. What I try and tell people if it comes up is, and it hasn't really come up, but this is what I would tell people is that's just normal. I mean, look at some of these celebrities, how many times they've gotten rejected. You might, you know, if you send out 100 resumes, you're lucky if you get one interview these days. 
that's just how it is. And if you don't get the job, don't take it personally. There'll be a better job coming up. One door closes, another one opens. It's pretty common. When I used to interview, I got rejected all the time. I mean, it was just, I never even heard from the company. You usually don't. You just, you don't get the job. So you can't take it personally and just forge ahead. You almost have to have like a rhinoceros skin, like a thick skin, like you have to have in sales to deal with rejection. And realize rejection is just part of part of job interviews. Nobody walks in unless you're like a president of a company or something. And they say, oh, Reed, you're the perfect person. We're going to hire you right now because there's other candidates. It doesn't mean that you did a bad job in the interview. It just means maybe somebody was was more experienced or maybe somebody knew somebody at the company. So you just chalk it up. You got some more experience interviewing. You're better at it. And then you go to the next company, take what you learned, your confidence and go forward to the next company. Now, do you help with job interviews? I mean, do you have mock interviews and in person and through Zoom? Yes, I have. I can do it through Zoom and I've got mock interviews in both my, I'll show you. So I, I know this probably sounds strange talking about See, I wrote a parent's guide that's mm. got a lot of activities in it because a lot mm-hmm. of parents didn't want to dig through my book and have to come up with the questions and the activities themselves. So this has a number of mock job interviews, customer service skills, as does the teaching guide, which is for teachers. And it's a great way to practice and get confidence, even if it's one teen to another or one young adult to another taking turns, like you and I might be there and you might be asking me, Kurt, tell me what you know about ABC Company. You know, when you do that a few times, you start to get confidence. You start to think, gosh, I think I can really do this because you're doing it right now in the mock interview. Then you go to the interview and you feel pretty good. You know, you're, you're it's all about preparation, really. But it's critical to do those mock job interviews. And also, um, do you tell them when they go into an interview, it's important to go with questions? Yes. Have questions ready. I This is what I tell them, Reed. Arrive early, at least 15 minutes early. Phone off, preferably locked in your car. I used to arrive to job interviews sometimes two hours early because I wasn't sure where the place was. This was before GPS. If you want to get nervous and have stress, you know, leave you leave yourself only five minutes of extra time when you're going to a job interview. <laughs> There'll be some accident or some road closed, and you'll be sweating trying to get to the place. I say arrive early, even if it's an hour early. You can sit in the parking lot. You can go over your notes, go over your questions. You feel comfortable and confident. Um, I think that's part of the battle. I'll get. I'll tell you a little story. There was one company in Ann Arbor, Michigan. I got to the interview two hours early and I walked in their office about, it was 45 minutes early. And I sat down and at like 2.30, my interview was at three o'clock at 2.30, the woman came up to me, the receptionist and asked me who I was waiting for. And I told her and she said, oh, he's at another building. Well, the other building was half an hour away. So luckily I got there early and I was able to drive to the other building a little bit in a hurry and be on time. Mm. And you know, you just never know. There might be an accident. The weather might be bad. So arrive early. Have your questions ready for them. Good questions based on research 
um, that you've done for the particular job have references, your resume. When you're done with the interview, um, shake their hand. If you're comfortable with eye contact, do that and tell them, thank you so much, Mrs. Jameson. It was so nice meeting you. I'm looking forward to hearing from you. You might even ask, when could I expect to hear something? As soon as you get home, you send an email properly written with please and thank you on there. You send them an email thanking them for their time. And then that same day, you mail a nice thank you card mm. or letter to that person because nobody else will do that. And you'll stand out as far as having good manners for that. Yeah, I started doing that back then, sending emails, and I had bought thank you cards and Good. stuff like this. I mean, I had bought a book called um, Guerrilla Marketing Job Hunting. And oh, like, I love his whole – Jay Leverance, I love his whole series of books. I didn't know he had a job hunting book. Yeah, and he went over a whole, whole bunch of things of like – if you can't get the recruiter, you ask for like the secretary. If you can't, to, and then you say, "Hey, listen, I'm applying for a job. Who can I talk to in the in your company? Who can tell me about what positions are available? Yeah, to make your resume stand out, put a photo on it." Yeah. Oh, that's a good, that's good. I know now they have those resume services where they really have up the resume. That's a good idea to have a photo on it. He's really good. No, I know. I mean, we. I know we were talking about time. I used to always show up early, at least an hour to an hour and a half early. I'd Good. sit in the waiting room. I Now, the question I do have for you is, I was told to always have a portfolio with me mm -hmm. and to come with extra copies of the resume because it may not just be one person. There may be a few people, and this way they all have copies of it. I, I think that's excellent. All right. And lastly, where can people find Martin? Where can people find out more uh, about you? They can either go to my website at smilethebook.com, www.smilethebook.com, or my books, not my online course, or on Amazon. All right. And that's it, ladies and gentlemen. That was Kirk McKinnon. How do you say your last name, Kirk? Panicky, but you're close enough. Nobody says it right, so don't worry. My best friends still don't say it right. As <laughs> Kirk Manicky and Perfect. Smile the Book, and I'll see you on the next one, everyone. the way things used to be I'm no big fan of now I must have some sweeter memories somewhere in the cloud Welcome to the new normal Welcome to the new normal Welcome to the new normal Shout Welcome to the new normal Gonna miss all you used to be. Huh. 
gonna miss all you had Consigned to the dustbins of history Like opinions from your dead Welcome to the new normal Welcome to the new normal Welcome to the new normal Shout Talk to the freaks. You can talk to just about anybody you happen to meet. It ain't what it was, and it is what it is. 